0: This has been an excellent book, Uh, a a book uh, that has really helped us to understand that God desires the exact same thing in the 8th century as he desires today. He wants our heart. He wants wants us uh, to come to him. I I titled this message, From Wreckage to Restoration. From Wreckage to Restoration. And immediately when I think of wreckage, I think of uh, Gilligan's Island. The the three seasons of Gilligan's Island, not counting the 1978 movie uh, that came out uh, 15 years later. But I think of, of, of crashing a boat the wreckage that Paul experienced. You know, when I think of wreckage also, I, I think about, I, I was standing I think right here, and, and I was looking this way, and I think it was, it was Dave Heidel was standing here, and, and maybe it was Tom uh, was sitting next to me as well, and Maddie, this is the fall of 2016, Maddie walks in, strolls in, taps me on the shoulder, and, and waits for me to get done talking. And Maddie goes, um, Dad, yeah, uh, Allie was not an accident. You might want to come check it out. Oh, she says her car is completely wrecked. And then she just walks away <laughs> like it was not a big deal. <laughs> Allie was right as she went around the S-curves on Leland Road. She jumped it into the field. We call it Allie's Corner, by the way, now (laughs) since then. Is this Allie's Corner? I mean, Jose knows Allie's Corner. And one tire completely flew off. The hood was smashed pretty significantly. When I went into the check the car out and I saw the airbags had already uh, deployed, uh, the smell of uh, something burning from the engine was not pleasant. It was wrecked, it was wrecked. You know, when we go uh, all the way to the beginning, uh, Dylan and I and and, and Maddie were going through uh, the Bible and and we went through Genesis and, and talking about Genesis and looking at Adam and Eve. And they had a tremendous opportunity that no other human has ever had, except for Jesus, obviously, but no ever human has ever had where they had perfect relationship with, with, uh, with God Almighty. And, and they had all kinds of things going for them as they, as they were in the garden. We don't know how long they were in there. Some, some people say two weeks. It could have been longer. We don't know. But they had a beautiful time there. But then they partake they, they, they grabbed the fruit and they both partaked of it and, and they enjoyed it and, and it caused wreckage in their life, damage, and that's passed on from generation to generation all the way to you and me because of what that had done wreckage is defined as the remains of something that has been badly damaged or destroyed you see we're made in the image of god unlike any other being ever created we're made in the image of god and yet we've been badly damaged or destroyed because of sin romans 5:12 says therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We are broken. How's that for encouragement on this last Sunday in July? We may have broken marriages, have broken relationships with our family, broken dreams, broken lives. Isaiah 53:6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And Paul, he sums it up really well in Romans chapter 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Whether they have become worthless, no one does good. Not even one. This is the exact same message that Amos is preaching to the northern tribes in Israel. Those ten tribes and the king Jeroboam, he is telling them, you are worthless. You're broken. You see, so was the southern tribe of Judah. They were broken too they were worthless, but they understood where they were with God. And he's trying to tell all of these tribes, stop this. Wake up. He wanted them to feel uncomfortable. Uh, Verse 8 in chapter 9, it says, Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. What? He's saying, I'm going to destroy. God is telling you through me that he's going to destroy you. Destroy you. Verse 10 All sinners among my people will die by the sword. All sinners. Oh boy. These are powerful. These are powerful statements made by a prophet. And these are statements that are actually true not only then but they're true today, absolutely true today. Because if you don't heed them, just like the northern Israelites weren't heeding it, you will die. You will have wreckage, not only in this life, but in the life to come. You see, we've taught you this several times. You've read it. You're good students of of the word. Nothing really was going to happen to the northern Israel tribes for another about 40 years. Could have been 35, depending on when these last things were written. 35, 40 years, they got to sit back and mock Amos. But here's the thing with God. You see, vengeance is mine, he says. I I, I think I may say that (laughs) later on in the sermon. And he promises when he says something, it will come to fruition. So if you're seeking a life of wreckage, you may not feel the pain today. You may not feel the pain next week. For them, it was maybe 40 years. But here's what you can be sure of. You will feel the pain. Because in this life, our goal is to serve Christ, Jesus Christ, not to seek those other things. We aren't going to be necessarily fully blessed with financial and material goods or or even perfect health. When you serve Jesus Christ, as opposed to seeking havoc in your life, the gain and the joy is eternal. I don't want to belabor these verses too much. Yeah, he is giving us a great picture of restoration. and These five verses that we're going to look the last five verses of Amos are excellent verses, and they're argued about all over the place by commentators. Of what they actually, uh, when they were actually fulfilled or if they've been fulfilled. We're not going to focus on that completely. We're going to focus on the restoration that God offers. And God does offer tremendous restoration in this life. Amos chapter 9 verses 11 through 15. You know what, go ahead and stand with me as I read these. Five verses, Amos chapter 9 verses 11 through 15. In that day, in that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I had given them, says the Lord your God. Heavenly Father, bless our time. May you teach us even today. In your name we pray, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you and I are going to move from wreckage to restoration, God is going to want to have, a, want you to have a heart of repentance. He's going to want you to have a heart of repentance over and over through. The nine chapters of Amos, this big tree farmer, this shepherd is, is continuously reminding the king and all the people that they need to change their ways, that they need to change their hearts. Stop what they're doing and, 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 and look back to God. Just stop this. How many times have you wanted to say that uh, to one of your kids or, or somebody you know? Just stop doing this. You know this is going to lead to harm. Stop it. And yet they continue to do it. You see, God wants our heart. That's what I said at the very beginning. That's what this is all about. God wants our heart. He wants, wants all of our lives to be about one thing. I said it last sermon. I'll say it again. Deuteronomy 6, five. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. He wants our heart. He wants our, our pure, true love to be for him. I like the way Joel chapter 2, verse 13 says it. Joel 2, 13. Rend our hearts. Rend our hearts. Joel was doing the same thing as Amos. He's, he's saying, hey, stop. Stop this. Change your ways. Destruction's going to come your way. Stop doing what you're doing. Listen to Joel 2. Here's the beginning. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on the holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. I mean, he is saying, man, it is coming for you. Because of what you're doing, He, oh, God is, oh, he's going to come at you. His vengeance will be had, no matter what. But then in verse 12, Joel in chapter 2 says this. He jumps to repentance. He says, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Then he says the verse I mentioned, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. You see, it was proper for them to rend or to rip their garments if you, if you sinned and you were caught in sin or, or whatever the situation was, you, you came to that repentance of sin or, or you wanted to proclaim that you did sin, you would tear your garments. You'd fast and you'd do all these different things. And those will be outward signs of what is happening. And and what Joel is saying here. Is he saying God could care less about your clothes? He doesn't care about your eating or not eating. He doesn't care about your words. He cares about one thing that your heart is broken in two. If you're a note taker, that's a good sentence to put in. God wants your heart to be broken in two. That's what repentance means. When your heart gets broken in two, all of a sudden you're like, I've got to change. I have to change. There's no other choice. Because your heart has been affected significantly. The Lord God loves his people. He loves seeing a heart of repentance. And this repentance, by the way, is for individuals. Not for nations. Or families. It's for you as an individual. Many times we see uh, the, the phrase, this nation must turn their heart. America must turn their heart. Israel must turn their heart. Judah must turn their heart. The people of David must turn their heart. It actually is about the individuals within those groups. Because if my heart is for the Lord, it doesn't matter for Reggie. It helps, it's nice, if his dad loves the Lord. And hopefully I'm treating him with honor and respect and I'm teaching him about the ways of God. But if Reggie and Jose and Maddie and Molly and and all my other kids, their hearts are not for the Lord, it doesn't matter what their dad's heart is. Zechariah 12.12. It says, the land shall mourn each family by itself. The family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves. The family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves. It's an individual act of of seeking restoration, seeking repentance, seeking change. But I'll tell you what, it does have a huge effect. When you give your life, To God and you start repenting that affects people around you and God can use that he loves when you rend your heart when it's torn in two then he can start changing you in order to move from a life that is wrecked to a life of restoration God wants us to first have a heart of repentance secondly God wants each of us to have a humble spirit. He wants each of us to have a humble spirit. Colossians 3.12 is a good reminder. As believers, uh, people who have sought out repentance, that we should have a spirit of humility. Colossians 3.12, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience fact, I might be able to argue, I and mean, I think I could, that without a spirit of humility, you cannot be a Christian. You see, as a, as a Christian, you have to have the ability and the desire and the willingness to acknowledge that you are wrecked, that you have no chance of salvation. You have no chance of, of figuring out. A, a, a person who is a Christian, is somebody who has said, I am a sinner, and I can't do it. It's it's like you're a beggar. You need to be a beggar, knowing that you can't even eat without the Master, capital M. And you go up, and, and you're just begging for salvation from him. And maybe he'll give you a scrap of food, maybe some crumbs, maybe you can fight over it with the dogs, because you know that you have no skill, you have no money, you have nothing, nothing in this life that you can do that is going to get the attention of the master. He is too magnificent, too uh, royal. I think that's the second sentence. I need you to write down on the side notes. Friends, you need to be a beggar. The beauty is, is we have Jesus as our master. We have the most gracious master, the most kind master, the most perfect master that we could ever have. We we think we're begging for for crumbs because we've come to a, a life of humility, understanding we are nothing, and all of a sudden we're put a purple robe on the back. And we're given a feast that that we can't even imagine. One that's never, uh, parties that have never been thrown before. That's what our master does for us as beggars. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. If you come to Jesus, And you ask him to forgive you, to teach you, and to love you. If you ask him for a heart that's changed, and you come before him with humility, just as a beggar might, he promises, he promises that he's going to take you, and he's going to make you into a new creation, and he's going to transform you. And that is beautiful. That is amazing. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Or Galatians 2.20 One of my favorite verses, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he has done for me. He is the master. He is the one who is perfect. We need to have a heart of repentance, have a spirit of humility, and thirdly, God wants you to be fully restored. Amos 9, 13, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. What an awesome picture of God's restoration. What an ma- awesome picture of, of, of God saying that there's just going to be such an abundance in this restoration process. So many blessings that, that, that even when after one plant has grown and they're harvesting it, the other people are, are going to try to be planting because there's so much uh, uh, fertile ground. There's so much ability to continue to grow and, and to change because of who God is. You, you know, I almost got the picture when I was thinking in here, I, I always see uh, these controlled burns that the farmers do, and, and they're burning all the grass in their field, and and they know that the nutrients and everything is going to just grow in a much larger abund- abundance. I also thought about restoration of, of different uh, furniture or cars. Here's some pictures. You, you see how... the it's just complete transformation. You take a piece of junk and you make it look brand new after, after some work, so, some, somebody has molded it and, and worked their hands with it and, and transformed it. And, and you see w- with cars and, and how it's, it's unbelievable. We'll go to the next one. And it's just, they take this garbage on the left And they make it into something that's absolutely beautiful. And that is what Jesus does in your life. You see, you don't have the ability to do that. Those guys on the Learning Channel, or or whatever channel that is that show all these restorations, they don't have the ability to do it with a human life. Doctors are miraculous at what they can, they can, uh, I was hearing a thing today where they added two legs to a guy who had no legs, and he's able to run and sprint and do all kinds of stuff. And it looks like he has real legs, and that's that's just a, a band aid. God goes into your heart and, and He takes the brokenness and He the 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 rend of your heart, the the cutting of it, and He puts it back together, and He creates this brand new beautiful creation I was thinking that it's kind of like in this picture it's kind of like the Garden of Eden but more like like more abundant than one Adam and Eve had because there is no opportunity of sin it's just a beautiful abundance Restoration is is a process. First process is we look vertically. So when we have a situation, I think of relationships and restoration. If you have an issue with somebody, you look vertically first. You look at God and and say, how can I do this? What can I do? Can you... you, um, Help me to repent from whatever I've done to harm this relationship. Can you humble me so I don't think that I'm absolutely right in this situation? So I'm looking vertically, and then I look horizontally. And I look at the person, and I do the exact same thing. How do I change from this situation? How do I look at it from a different way? And how can I humble myself to say, you know what, I may not know everything. And even if I think I'm right, that's where humbleness comes in. Because there's many people who think their lives, they're living exactly how they're supposed to be. But God wants us to come before him humbly, knowing that we don't have the answers. Knowing that that we don't know everything. You may know scripture extremely well. Hear me out. You may know Scripture extremely well, but you do not have the knowledge of God. And it is wise for you to say, I don't know. How about we look at that together? Let's see if we can come up with our understanding of what Scripture is teaching on that. We don't need to be arguing all these heavy things, especially with people we're trying to guide towards the Lord Jesus. Let's humbly come before them in relationship and go to God together. Well, before I move to the final thoughts, let me make sure I'm clear about uh, something specifically. Restoration only happens through our Savior, Jesus Christ. It only happens Because we get to be part of that process because of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the plan of God Almighty. Jesus came as a little tiny baby. Little tiny baby. And he grew up an absolute perfect life. Everything he did was absolutely perfect. And he grew in stature and knowledge and and, and to the point where he had full knowledge when he was going to the cross, he fully understood God Almighty was turning his back on him. And that he was given of his life for you and me, for salvation reasons, to cover our sins. And he went to the uh, to, to the grave and he raised from the grave uh, three days later and he ascended into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of God and, and he said, I must go so he could come. Speaking of the helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit. And you see, all the restoration that we have is because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus, who Jesus is, and what he has done, and what he continues to do. And because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. That's why we can seek restoration. Because of who God is. Because of his very nature. It's not us. It's God. It's Jesus Christ. I think that's the third sentence I gave you two already random ones our restoration is not about us it's about Jesus Christ our restoration is not about us it's about Jesus Christ and we have to understand that because we will fail in the restoration process if we don't humbly submit to Christ yeah, we may make some, make some movements and people who, who don't love Jesus Christ may restore their lives here on earth and, and, and they may even build some good relationships. There's a lot of charismatic uh, people that are going to hell. We need to be focused on Jesus Christ. Acts 3, 17 through 21. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, including Amos, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. That leads us to three quick thoughts. Three quick thoughts. First, God is a perfect judge. God is a perfect judge. Romans twelve nineteen, Beloved, <coughs> never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. As a principal, when I was a principal in in the school system, I had a lot of times where I got to be the judge. I made kids cry. I was an elementary principal, by the way. I made many kids cry. I made many kids Embarrassed because they didn't want to be in front of an adult after they did something wrong. I caused anger with kids as I asked them questions. I had kids try to run out of my office because they were mad at someone else that was taught they were talking to. But I think of this one kid. We'll call him Johnny. I don't remember what his name was. I had 400 Uh, 500 kindergartners at my school of 800 uh, in Oswego and uh, he was a kindergarten kid and he had come in my office uh, because the teacher assistant told me that he had taken the little girl's shoe and brand new white shoe and put it in the mud puddle so I had this this cute little white shoe Uh, as as the big issue. And the young man is in there and, and he's telling me I did not do it, not at all. This little girl can't stand me. She's being mean to me. She makes fun of me. And you know what? She did it. And then told the teacher assistant that I did it. And this is not fair that I'm in your office. I said, oh, I am so sorry, buddy. I have no idea, I had no idea that she did this. Well, some random reason, his mom was in the office. I have no idea why she was in the office, dropping something off or whatever, so I invited her in. And, and I sat there and, and, and I let Johnny tell the story and, and I'm like, wow, this is quite a story. And, and mom goes, I agree with Johnny, he did not do this. He would never do this. I said, yeah. I said, Johnny, you want to you change your story? Or is this the story you're going to stick with? Well, Johnny, he stuck with the story. A little smirk after mom was agreeing. And I was like, okay. So I kind of shifted my chair around and on my 23-inch monitor, I pulled up the beautiful high-def camera that we had on the playground. I see Johnny over there, little girl on the ground playing. He rips off of her shoe, right shoe, walks over, holds it up and dangles it and then drops it right in the mud pile. And that wasn't it. He rubbed it. And then he just tosses it back. And I said, Johnny, do you want to change your story now? (laughs) He was embarrassed. Mom was embarrassed. I don't remember what the discipline I gave him. I think I gave him a week out of recess. That's big for a kindergartner. But you know, I don't know if that was the exact thing I should have given Johnny. I have rules and regulations, policies, things that we've done, precedents, if you will. but I don't know if it was the exact right thing. Maybe just having his mom in there and him being embarrassed and he was going to get disciplined at home. Maybe I really didn't need to do anything at school. I don't know. You see, I'm not a perfect judge. Even when I catch Johnny red-handed or mud-handed, I don't know how you want to say it, even when I catch him. I don't know how to judge him perfectly, but God does. He is an absolute perfect judge in every way. His judgment isn't, uh, doesn't need a security camera. He doesn't need to reveal uh, the film to see what actually happened because he already knows what happened and he knows what's going to happen. His judgment is absolutely perfect. Only God assesses accurate judgments. Only God. He's a perfect justice. Vengeance is his job. Perfect judge. My second thought is that God provides an intercessor. Johnny could have used an intercessor. You see, from people like Noah... And Abraham, Moses, we see that God just keeps sending intercessors, telling people to change or or caution them what God is is telling them because vengeance is coming. The judge has already said what's going to happen. Moses, through the power of God, he warned Pharaoh over and over and over until that final plague. Egypt was finally struck. Perfect judgment by the Almighty. Amos, he's the intercessor. He, he's trying to tell the northern tribe, change it. We, we had this discussion in the pastor meeting. If they would have just changed early on in the letters and in the poems and in the, the writings and in the conversations, God would have spared them because he is a gracious God. But the fact stands that God already knows if you're going to change or not. And his judgment is perfect. You think of Jonah with Nineveh, the other prophets, intercessors over and over, thrown out towards people. And then God said, I'm going to give you the final intercessor. The one I want everyone talking about. The one who is the actual intercessor. Hebrews 1, 1 through 12 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. You see, Jesus Christ is now interceding for us. Not Abraham, not Moses, not Noah, not Amos. But it's Jesus Christ, who's interceding right now for us at the right hand of God the Father. Just as Jesus said to his Father on the cross, remember he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was interceding in that very moment of sacrifice. He intercedes for you and I, on a consistent and continuous basis. Romans 8:34, it says it perfectly. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Absolutely crucial for us to understand that it's Jesus who is interceding for us. When you sin, And when you come to a a point of repentance and, and humility and you go to God and say, I am so sorry, I am so sorry, there is interceding happening. You see, God is so perfect. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, somehow, in some way, God the Father sees a reflection of his son. It is amazing i love being a christian i love serving jesus christ i love being a beggar i love having a heart that's ripped in two because i am serving the master i am serving jesus christ amen we get to serve the greatest with pure joy with pure joy god is a perfect judge He provides us an intercessor. And we can be confident that God will plant Jesus' kingdom on earth. The establishment of his kingdom here on earth may be exactly what Amos was talking about in these final verses. Our future, it's going to be a new world, just like the Garden of Eden. I said it earlier, but better. Just like the Garden of Eden, but better. All pain, all tragedy, all catastrophe, all frustration, all futility, it's all going to be gone. It's all going to be gone. The suffering and the death of God's kingly servant was absolutely necessary. Jesus had to die for the end-time kingdom to be established. In fact, it's the very means by which the kingdom is and will be established. Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension... Absolutely had to precede Jesus coming on the stallion. And Jesus coming here to bring an end to this world and to establish his new kingdom. I pray that as we conclude this book of Amos, this book written by Amos through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit even in the 8th century. I, I, I pray that, that it's going to affect you. You as an individual. Not just for today, but for eternity. I, I pray that, that we are looking at Jesus Christ as the author and perfecter of our faith. That it's not us. It's not our faith. It's it's not, it's not what we've done, but it's all about Jesus. May we continue to bow down to him in humility and reverence. May we continue to make our requests of restoration to him because we know they're going to be answered. We serve a perfect God, we serve a God that loves us more than we could imagine. Let's let's inspect our own lives. I mentioned earlier about a family, about a nation, but I talked about the individual. Let's inspect our own lives. So many times we may be watching TV or looking at things on social media and we're thinking about other people. Let's stop and inspect our own lives and say, what's going on? What am I actually doing? Is this for the king? God already knows what's going on in your life. Let's just be honest with him. Let's tell him. Let's somehow remove these filthy garments that we have and let's allow God to clothe us with garments of salvation. Amen? God be the glory forever and ever. Heavenly Father, it is to your glory that we seek and we desire to serve. We seek um, restoration. Will you change us? And I know many of us have given our lives to you already, but continue to change us, continue to Uh, to put us to a point uh, where we need to uh, figure out our humbleness is the only thing that we can do. That humility will bring us closer to you, closer to our master. We beg of this from you. It's in the name of your son who, who lived and died and was raised again and who sits on your right hand. That we pray we love Jesus.